0: The text for this morning's service is from Galatians 5, verse 22, the first part. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love, congregation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. In his letter to the congregation of Galatia, the Apostle Paul has to deal with some very difficult and contentious issues and there are some significant problems in this congregation and so it is a divided congregation there are those intent on tearing the congregation apart they want to promote a gospel based on work and on works and not on grace they want to serve the lord by rules and not out of love and that is no gospel it is the opposite all those who do that are under a curse. And that is why Paul deems it necessary to write this letter. He wants them to get back on the right track. For a wrong doctrine always makes for a wrong lifestyle. When you have the wrong doctrine, then you have the wrong lifestyle. The two go hand in hand. But he does not want them to fall back into their former way of life. He's very much afraid of that. And so, something has to be done. Paul tells them what that is. He does not mince his words. He is very direct and to the point. What is the basic problem here? The problem is that there is a lack of love. And he mentions that first. Without this one particular attribute, without love, the rest would have no meaning. And that is something these Galatians has to understand, have to understand, and that's something we have to understand as well. Now, you know, there have been lots of sermons on that biblical concept of love. You hear sermons like that, especially when you go to a wedding ceremony. And you may think to yourself, do we need another one on that? Haven't we heard enough? Is it really necessary? And the answer is yes, we do need it, and we need it badly, all of us. For remember, love is the fulfilling of the law. We are to love God and our neighbor. The love, therefore, that we are to show each other is based on the love that God has for us. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. For if there is no love in a congregation, then the congregation will soon fall apart. And so let us listen to the preaching of God's word as I've summarized it on the following theme, to love one another is the first and most important fruit of the Holy Spirit. We will look at three things, first the fruit, secondly the love, and then thirdly the love as fruit. So to love one another is the first and most important fruit of the Holy Spirit. First then, the fruit. The word that Paul uses in this text is a Greek word, which is most commonly used of a fruit of the tree or a vine. As you know, in the Bible, the example of the fruit tree is often shown between... To be, is often to show the relationship between God and his people. That is what the Lord Jesus himself did in telling a believer how he may be recognized. A tree may be known by its fruit... And so a believer may be known by his fruits as well. It's worth noting that Paul uses the singular word fruit. The text speaks about fruit, not fruits. And yet in verse 22, Paul mentions not just the fruit of love, but eight others as well. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why, then, does Paul use the singular? The answer most commonly given is that fruit must be seen as a collective. In other words, all these nine virtues refer to the one gift of the Holy Spirit. Other commentators want to divide these nine fruits into three clusters of three. The first cluster, dealing with our relationship to God. The next cluster, dealing with our relationship with our fellow man, and the last cluster with each believer's believer's relationship to himself, concerning his own desires and passions. However, this division is somewhat artificial. Another commentator puts it somewhat differently. It says there that the fruit of the spirit may be likened to a diamond, which has many facets. All of the facets together constitute a gem but each facet helps to reflect the true splendour of the one stone. I think that one is closer to the mark. However, please remember that these nine fruits show different aspects of the one fruit but that nevertheless these nine fruits are not exhaustive. There are many more that, that could be mentioned elsewhere in scripture, for example, the words respectability or hospitality or sincerity or honesty, among many others, are mentioned. And so although these nine virtues in the text are some of the more important ones, they are not the only ones. But all of them belong to the fruit of the Spirit. How do you acquire such fruit? Well, as you know, fruit does not grow in a vacuum fruit grows on a tree. And a fruit tree does not come there by itself either. No, a fruit tree first has to be planted. But you can't just plant a tree and then hope for the best. No, after the tree has been planted, it needs to be watered, to be pruned, and to be carefully tended. The same thing is true about the fruit of the Spirit. It too has to be planted and cared for, But now the Lord applies that concept to us personally. How exactly? Well, in John 15, the Lord Jesus referred to us as believers as fruit bearing branches of the vine. And it is the Lord Jesus himself who grafts us into the vine. And you know how that is done. The fruit of the spirit is planted by the sowing of the word, first of all. And that's what Matthew 13 is all about. And so the Lord and the Lord uses laborers in His vineyard to do that work. The vineyard of Galatia was planted by the Apostle Paul and others. Paul came there to that heathen people on one of his missionary journeys, and planted the seed of faith amongst these people. He came there with the Word of God and he proclaimed that Word to them. Many of them listened. The seed took root, for it found fertile soil in their hearts. But fruit has to grow and to ripen. For that to happen, the fruit has to be nurtured continually. It needs water and fertilizer. The tree also has to be, plant, has to be pruned once in a while. It is only in this way that the fruit can come to maturity. It is a long and arduous process. The fruit also needs favorable weather, it needs sunshine, it also has to be protected from damaging storms, especially during the initial stages of growth, a storm can do irreparable damage to the fruit. The same thing is true of the fruit of the spirit. It has to be carefully cultivated as well, and nothing should hinder that growth or else that fruit might stop growing and even die. And that's what's threatening to happen there in Galatia. Paul did everything for the fruit of faith to come to maturity. He came with the wonderful news of salvation through faith alone. Whereas they had no hope before, he gave them hope. He got them out of their destructive lifestyles, And he told them that salvation is through grace alone and not through works. And many of them embraced that wonderful gospel of salvation. Churches were established there in the province of Galatia. Office bearers were installed. And then Paul left for other parts of the Roman Empire. However, after some time he heard some sad news about those congregations there in Galatia. We can read about that throughout his whole letter to them. And so he strongly warns them. He says in chapter 1, verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. What different gospel were they turning to? They were turning to the gospel of the Judaizers. These Judaizers were men who wanted to add works as being necessary for salvation. they proclaimed that circumcision was necessary for salvation, for example, and also that they could not eat from certain foods. And they made fine distinctions in the law. They did not preach the gospel of free grace, but the gospel of works. They taught that man had to earn his own salvation or at least to contribute to his own salvation in one way or the other. And they also attacked Paul personally. They said that Paul wasn't really a true apostle and therefore his gospel was not the true gospel either. And so you see what is happening. These false teachers were trying to choke the good fruit which Paul had planted by poisoning, by sowing poisonous seed. They told the people that the poisonous plant that they are planting is the true plant which will bear good fruit, not what Paul had planted. That's the bad fruit, they said. So what is Paul to do about this? What can he say to the Galatians which will make them go back on the right path? Paul knows exactly how to go about that. And what does he tell them? He tells them that they must have love. That is the first fruit of the Holy Spirit and also the most important one. And so he mentions that first. We come to the second point. Love is the solution. At this point you may say to yourself, Well, this sounds a little bit too simplistic to me. For that is also the solution of the world to conflict and strife. And it seems to make little or no difference. For you hear the slogans of today make love, not war, or love makes the world go around. But now do yourselves a favor, brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls. If you can, put whatever you have learned about the concept of love completely out of your mind. For a lot of what you have learned about true love, you have learned from the world. For the love... The world and false churches speak about is not the love of the scriptures. The world knows only cheap and selfish love. It is a weak and self-serving love. It reminds more of lust than love. And that was not any different during Paul's time. The Greeks even had a word for it. They called that kind of love eros. We get our English word erotic from it. It is originally a sexual love. It is sensual, impulsive, spontaneous, and such love is epitomized by the love goddess Eros. Later on, the word received a somewhat extended meaning. For in Platonism, which is a philosophy prevalent during Paul's time, the word is developed a little more and comes to mean a contemplative inspiration for the divine in other words eros comes to mean a quest for God eros denotes the quest for satisfaction wherever it could be found Paul does not use here that word eros he uses the word agape it is a word hardly known in the Greek world it is an obscure word and it is a word that is also used in the Septuagint which is a translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek which came into existence hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. And Those translators of the Hebrew Old Testament ignored the common word for love and used the word agape to translate the Hebrew word which meant the loving-kindness of God, His covenant faithfulness. Like the Hebrew word chesed, agape denotes selection. It stresses exclusiveness, especially God's love for His chosen people. Love in the Bible is not man seeking God. It is not man seeking satisfaction and fulfillment in his life. But love is God fulfilling man. And that is what is so unique about love in the Bible. And there is not a religion in the world where love has the same meaning as we find it in the Bible. And that is because all other religions are man-made. For man thinks that he can be the author of his own destiny. However, nothing is farther from the truth... Man, you and I are incapable of finding true love. Think about the people of Israel. They showed that time and again. For look at how the people of Israel treated the Lord their God. The Lord God sought out his people. He chose that nation Israel out of all other nations. He had compassion on that people. He led them out of the land of Egypt He brought them into the wilderness and gave them Moses as their leader, whom God himself had preserved from the cruel fate at the hand of the Egyptians, and to have him taught and nurtured for 80 years so that he could lead his people. The Lord prepared Moses for his task so that he could act as mediator between God himself and the people. And God showed his greatness and his might when he led his people through the Red Sea. And then, once their enemies had been drowned in the Red Sea, he spoke to his people from Mount Horeb. He told them there that they are his people. The mighty and great covenant God spoke to his people. He showed how deeply he cared for them. Before he even gave them the ten words of the covenant, he told them, I am the Lord your God. In other words, I have established a relationship of love between me and you. And yet, what do the people do in response to that great act of the Lord God? They murmur and complain. Ultimately, they want nothing to do with that covenant God. They want to go back to Egypt and serve the foreign gods again as before. And yet God does not reject them. What does he do? He disciplines them. He nurtures them. He gives them manna to eat and water to drink. Still they are not satisfied. Finally he leads them into the promised land. He conquers the nations for them. But how they rebel against him time and again. Listen to the lament of the prophet Hosea, for example. He says in Hosea 9, verse 1, Do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations, for you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. And in chapter 11, the Lord says through the mouth of the prophet, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. God loved his people. He did not reject them, but many of them did reject him. And so, in the end, God's covenant people, the people of Israel, are no longer the recipients of God's love. And what is the ultimate gift of God's love? No doubt that is the gift of His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us about that in John, or the Apostle John tells us about that in chapter 3, verse 16 of his Gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and so does Paul in Romans 5 verse 8 but God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us you see love is not that we seek God as the Greeks say but that God seeks us and he did that to the Galatians as well he sent them as ambassador of his love the apostle Paul Paul came with a pure message of the gospel he spoke to them about God's love for his creation he told them how God rescued them from their miserable state now let me ask you a question brothers and sisters and again that includes you boys and girls Do you think that you would have become part of God's church if it had been left up to you? Do you think that you would be sitting in these chairs right now if it were up to you? Do you think that you would have the promise of eternal life if God had left it up to you to choose Him as your savior, as the one who would rescue you from your miserable existence? I think you know the answer already. Nothing would have come of it. Look around you in this world. Mankind shows its hatred to God. They want nothing to do with him. They are prone by nature to hate God. And if you were to go by your old nature, then you too would not belong to this church. And then you would do whatever your heart desires. And that would mean death for you. But God came to you. He gave you Christian parents to bring you up in the true faith. Or for those who came to faith later in life, he led your life in such a way that you became part of his church. In the final analysis, you did not seek him. He sought you out. And he did that because of his great love for you. What a great God we have it is a God full of love. To the world, the concept of love has the connotation of weakness attached to it. They see love as a feminine concept. They believe, for example, that love avoids confrontation at all costs. Now it is true that love is tolerant and patient and kind. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things as Paul states in 1 Corinthians 13. But God's love is also full of strength and might and obedience and faithfulness. We could sing about that when we began his worship service together. His steadfast love endures forever and we are his forever. God's love means that he is faithful to his covenant promises. He comes to us first. He selects us And once he has done that, he does not forsake his people. And then he continues to nurture us and to sustain us. And he also reminds us of how he has done so throughout the ages and how he will continue to do that. For he continues to come to you with his word and spirit. He gave you his word, the scriptures. But now the question is, how do you respond to God's love? Well, brothers and sisters, the only way that we can do that is also by showing our thankfulness to such a loving God. If we truly believe that we are his creation, that he sent his son in the flesh for our sins. If we truly believe that God sought us out in his love, then we cannot do otherwise than to love him as well. And that brings us to our third and final point, the love as fruit. Love is a a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. That is how Paul came to the Galatians. But what happened, they quickly turned away from the gospel and listened to the false prophets whose love was not for God, but for themselves. For they wanted to earn their salvation through the law. And so they wanted to give man the glory rather than God. Paul strongly warns against the message of self-love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That means that you must imitate the love that God has for you. That means that you must totally give yourself to him. Body and soul, you must sacrifice yourself as he sacrificed himself for you. That means that you must choose him as he chose you. You may not have any other gods before you, before him. And that means that you must be faithful to him as he was. And he continues to be faithful to you. And that means also that you must not take away from his word. Love implies choice. As a man chooses and gives himself completely to his wife and a wife to her husband, so you must give yourself over to the Lord your God. And that means that you may not doubt his word to you. That's what the Galatians did. They went away from God's promises. And that is why Paul is so concerned about them. Paul is the ambassador of love. And yet see how angry he gets when false teachers come along. He even says about them in chapter 5 verse 12, As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Is that the language of love, you may say? Yes, it is, brothers and sisters. God's word is being attacked by these false teachers. God's love and therefore also Paul's love is so great that he does not want them to fall into the arms of the evil one. they must accept all of God's word as the absolute truth. Only then will they be saved. And so what about you and me, brothers and sisters? How do we show God's love in our lives? Well, we show it in the first place by giving ourselves over to the Lord completely. And that means that you love his word. It means that you will not tolerate any attack on his word. It means that you accept God's word as the only and absolute truth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died God's love compels us or as it says in another translation it controls us can you also say that about yourselves can you say that God's word controls you and that it takes a central place in your life how does that work in your home do you show God's love to your children Do you instruct your children about the love of God or do you leave that up to the teachers and to the minister at Catechism? Are you a good role model to them? Can the children tell from the way that you are that you are controlled by the love of God? Do the children see parents who are joyful about the fact that God chose them and that he has forgiven them their sins? Do you give yourselves to your loved ones in the way that Christ gave himself for you? Are you there to serve? To love one another means that you must sacrifice yourself. Love means considering another person better than you. It means seeking the interest of another person before yourself. And therefore, love means doing everything for another person to keep him in the love of God. Love congregation, there's a lot of love lacking in this congregation. That's the way it is everywhere. We are sinful and selfish human beings. It is hard to show your love to your children. It is hard to show your love to your brothers and sisters in the Lord at times. We all lack in that way. But we are children of God, and therefore we must bear fruit. All of us must put up a daily struggle to truly love, to love the Lord our God, and to love our fellow man. Do you love your brothers and sisters in the Lord, beloved? As I said, that's hard. But it is a command. God commands it from you, and he can do that too. For he loves you. Have you ever thought how hard it is for him to love you? For none of us has any redeeming qualities, and yet God loves us, he chose us as his children. The opposite of love is hatred. Hatred belongs to our old nature. But the Holy Spirit gives us a new nature, and the first fruit of the new nature is love. It is the most important fruit, for love is the fulfillment of the law, God has planted his love in your hearts. He gave himself for us that we might give ourselves to him and to each other. And that fruit, brothers and sisters, must continue to grow. You must nourish it long by the pure word of God. And then when the time is right, ripe, the Lord will also come and gather his crop. And he will examine you and say, yes, this person is a child of mine he or she has been a fruitful branch of the vine he is his fruit is the good kind he or she has shown his love for me and his fellow man he or she is a true product of the vine and the lord will gather his harvest into his barn the lord will come with his angels on the final day and gather his people in What a wonderful thing to look forward to. And what a wonderful thing it will be to escape the hatred of this present world and to be surrounded totally by God's love. For remember, God loved you first. And he will continue to love you, but also show that love in our lives. Amen.